0: on this podcast I was joined by former sports journalist and now state of mind pundit Tony Haggerty we talk about Celtic this season we talk about Hamilton Tanaki's. he now is the main commentator me and Tony had a great chat and I'm really thankful that Tony gave me so much of his time this is part 1 with Tony Haggerty part 2 will be available at the end of the week thank you so on this podcast I'm joined by sports journalist for the daily record for the last 20 to 30 years and also Celtic State of Mind I'm Tony Haggerty hi Anthony how you doing
1: Hi Regan, how are you doing? Pleasure to be here.
0: Oh, thank you. So I, I just wanted to get you on because obviously Celtic this season, you've been a big <laughs> contributor of the Celtic Stemine podcast. What has it been like to, to be involved in that and Celtic going for 10 titles in a row?
1: It's been uh, a pleasure actually and an honour and a privilege to be on that podcast. I, I really like it because it's quite, it's quite an intelligent and a uh, Yes. You no, know, intellectual and stimulating broadcast, you know. So I I enjoy that, and a lot of the contributors are really articulate and they get their points across really well. And it's not it's not rabid, you know. It's it's real thought out debate, you know. And not everybody agrees with the points that people are making, but that's the, that's the whole point of it. But with regards to Celtic going for ten in a row. I don't actually think they've gone for 10 in a row, have they? No, (laughs) they've not. They've not not mounted anything near a serious challenge. So I think people would dispute that, that they've actually contested 10 in a row. And for a lot of the supporters, that's been the hardest part to take about this season. But the the podcast has been a great way to vent your spleen, you know, get things off your chest and, and say things. But it's always in a controlled environment. And all the contributors, as I say, bring something to the table, uh, and it's great fun to do.
0: So, I just want to take you back to the start of the, the start of the season for Celtic. Did you see this free fall that was going to happen? Did you, you imagine this would the season would end this, this way?
1: I don't think anybody would have predicted the the season no. going the way it has gone for Celtic. You know, least of all the people in charge at Celtic, the manager yeah. and the and the players, and especially not the supporters. The supporters have been singing about 10 since well 2012, really, you know. So they they were all geared up for it. But I I said something on a Celtic state of mind which struck a chord with the fans, and I and I'll, I'll repeat it here. It was a it's it was the I took the St Francis prayer and I flipped it. But I think everybody kind of bought into it, and they thought that's a succinct way of saying. The way the season has gone and I, and I addressed it to the Celtic board because I said to them where there was harmony you brought discord, where there was truth you brought error, where there was faith you brought doubt and where there was hope you brought despair and I said that on the podcast and all the Celtic fans just they just totally went that's exactly how, how it was and how the season has gone and they seem to jump on that and my Twitter followers went from about 200 to about 2,500. <laughs> you know, yeah. so uh, that's one spin-off from and the People seem to like what you're saying. But I don't say it for dramatic effect. It was kind of how I felt and how I still feel about the yeah. way the season went. One team in Glasgow tooled up for a tilt at the title and it wasn't the team in green and white. And it's no surprise that the uh, Rangers are uh, champions elect. You know, so... yeah.
0: I just wanted to ask you. Obviously, you spoke about having a, a personal relationship with Neil Lennon. What is Neil like as a person?
1: As a person, he's there. He's uh, a very—he's at the top for me. In my, in my twenty-one years of working for the Daily Record, there's nobody comes close to Neil Francis Lennon. And I'll give you a wee insight why. I when I left the Daily Record, I told various people I was leaving. Uh, Neil Lennon invited me up to Lennox Town and I spent three hours observing training and in his personal manager's office. That's a side to Neil Lennon that people yeah. don't see, right? He gave me three hours of his time. I will never sit in the Celtic manager's office again in my life, in my lifetime. And he came up and he said I wanted to say cheerio properly. And he said thanks and I said thanks and you know, so when are you ever, ever going to be able to do that? And as I say, it's a side that people don't see in Neil Lennon. I think he's, he, yeah, he's a divisive character. He divides opinion. That's that's fair enough. People are allowed their opinion. But uh, the Neil Lennon that I know never shipped an issue, never shipped a question. And we had a brilliant working professional relationship, but we also had a, a, I would call it a friendship, and it still exists to this day. I can text him and he'll get back to me. But it's something that I don't do every day. You know, I have to have some reason to text him. I just don't annoy him because that's when you have kind of conflicts of interest and stuff. But uh, as a person, yeah, he's uh, he's certainly up there. And I've met a lot, a lot of people in 21 years of football journalism, you know. Yeah.
0: So I just want to ask you, that must be so difficult for you this season obviously when the fans were calling for Neil Lennon's head, but obviously you knew that Celtic was not performing to the way that, Cel- that Celtic should be.
1: But I think that's when my professional head kicked in as well and results get you this, like Regan. You know, I, I uh, if you don't perform as a manager, especially at a club like Celtic, you you will pay the ultimate price. And my personal relationship aside, I, I, I was one of those people that said that Neil Lennon had to go at various points during the season. I started after Ferenc Farros. It became louder when they drew up with It became even louder when they lost to Rangers and didn't have a shot on target. And then at various stages of the season, it just became the same the same record. You know, the, yeah. the needle back to the start of the record, saying, look, as much as everything else, he, he's a club legend, he's this and he's that. His team were underperforming. And there might be some varying... Mitigating circumstances, which he has alluded to, Well unless Neil Lennon Neil Lennon comes out and tells the fans all of those things, then they will never really know. And a lot of people were just getting angry and disappointed because the season meant so much to the Celtic supporters this season in particular. Yeah, so Neil, Neil Lennon caught the brunt of it, you know. So, so
0: I just wanted to ask you: so when did you say it was the breaking point for you that you thought Neil Lennon has to go here?
1: Personally, it was Farros for me yeah, because me too. I. I was sick of Celtic losing to substandard European clubs and playing Russian roulette with the Champions League every year, hoping they would get through. Not gearing up to get through. Not building a team to get through. You know, flying by the seat and just leaving it to chance. And They lost to all sorts of... You no, know, they lost to Cluj, lost to Ike Athens, lost to Ferenc Varos. And you cannot tell me that any of them are better than Celtic because they're not. And they should, Celtic should be able to beat these teams to qualify for the Champions League group stages, but they didn't. So I, I was, I was pretty vocal after the Ferran Farros defeat, the manner of the defeat as well. When Lennon played Ryan Christie up front and didn't play a striker, yeah, he did, yeah. You know, so I think I think a lot, of, a lot of supporters well were, were angry at that and disappointed at that, and that was kind of my tipping point. I thought, okay. I just, I, I thought at that point they could have saved the ten possibly. So you, you part company with the manager then maybe. Because obviously know.
0: the same night, Neil Lennon, he said some of the players didn't want to be there.
1: Yeah, and, and that was a strange statement, wasn't it? You know. Yeah, so well,
0: I mean, especially when it's so early on during the season.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I you. I think a lot of the supporters couldn't fathom that statement out. You know, when they came out and they said that there are a lot of players who don't want to be there, but, you know, you you, you then have to go back to those same players and get a tune out of them. And I remember many years ago, Terry Butcher did a similar thing at Hibs, who needed one win to stay up in eh, 2013-14, round about then, I think it was that season, and they couldn't register it. And eventually they, they lost to Hamilton in the playoff. And Teddy Butcher had said the exact same thing about his players. You know, those guys that won't be here next season—they don't seem to care. Worse to that effect, and he couldn't get a tune out of them for the last few games. He eventually lost penalties in the playoff and went down. It took them three years to get back up—three or four years. So, you know, you need to—you need to watch what you're saying, especially in terms of, you know, sl- slaughtering your own players. You know, yeah. it's, it's not a wise tactic.
0: See so when it comes to Neil, Neil
1: Lennon, do you think his legacy will be ruined? I, I think it will be ruined. I don't think it should be. I mean, he, yeah. he's had incredible success as a player and a manager. He's won 21 trophies, both as a manager and a player. But I think the, the, the big thing was everybody, every Celtic supporter wanted the 10 desperately. You know, Neil Lennon's yeah, part, of that, part of that uh, failure to secure the 10. So, but I mean, he's right. He he, he guided the club to a treble, treble, a quadruple treble. Yeah, I think a lot of people the nine in a row, you know. But a lot of people wanted the ten, and I think it'll it'll do a wee bit of damage to his legacy. But time might be kinder to him, you know. But at this moment in time, the it's a raw wound. It's an open wound, and it's going to take a lot, a lot of time to heal, as they say. So, yeah, I think he's legacy. Will be tardy short-term, maybe longer-term people cut him some more slack. But at this minute in time, the Chelsea supporters are not in a forgiving mood. I, more...
0: just, I just wanted to ask you something else. So obviously Neil Lennon, he's got a great relationship with Peter Lowell, but do you think Peter Lowell was too, was too, too in control of Neil Lennon? Because obviously he didn't let Neil Lennon bring in his backroom staff or, or some players that obviously Neil Lennon wanted, he didn't manage to bring the players in.
1: I think these are the big questions that you need to ask, and, and maybe that's what Neil Lennon is uh, referring to in mitigation circumstances. You know, I, I think with Brendan Rodgers, people saw the influence of Peter Lowell when he tried to foist up players on him and stuff and projects. Brendan Rodgers didn't stand for it, and he left the club. You know, so I think if there's been that same amount of interference by Peter Lowell with, with Neil Lennon, then he's had a raw deal. And as you said, you've alluded to, he wasn't allowed to bring in his backroom staff. I questioned the other day the the signing of the players because yeah. when Neil first took charge, he bought a lot of big guys. Yeah, he did. Right? He brought a lot of big, big players, you know, in stature, I mean. You know, Kelvin Wilson, Van Dyke, you know, eh, Victor Wanyama, Gary Hooper. They were a big presence. You know, you look at the, the players that have been signed now, you know, R- R- Sorrow, Sorrow, you know, smaller players, Taylor, guys like that. So I question whether they were, because they don't seem to fit the Neil Lennon prototype of a player. So I wonder how much uh, Nicky Hammond and Peter Lowell were involved in the signing of these players. And if that's the case, then that's, I, I think Lennon might have a case to say there was mitigating circumstances. Don't know that for a fact, but when you're looking at it now, with an obdurate eye, you're, you're, things are starting to stack up a bit.
0: The only player that's uh, played well this season has been David Turnbull.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, I say, said on the pod that the worst thing about that was, was for me that it took a dead rubber, you know, in, a, in a, the Europa League for, for Turnbull to get his chance. And it's no surprise that he turned it on because he's a very good footballer. I'd yes. watched a lot. I watched a lot of tumble at Motherwell, and I knew that. And my question again to the management was, "You're surely watching him at training every day. He must. He must have been performing at training and showing how good he was. So, why did it take so long for to force his way into that first team? And then people were saying that Neil Lennon was uh, faithful to, you know, a couple of the old pals act kind of thing, stuff like that. So maybe there is questions to answer there but you and I can both see that Tumble's a footballer
0: yeah it's fantastic yeah
1: he's a bomb footballer so
0: yeah so see in terms of next season how many season tickets do you expect to be sold because obviously there's people <laughs> talking about they're not going to bring in a, a, a big manager until uh, people are not going to buy their season ticket until they see Celtic are going to show some ambition to bring in a a proper manager, you, because you for said... me, the, the problem I've got is if Celtic say John Kennedy wins the next seven games, John Kennedy better not be, and not running for that job. If John Kennedy isn't, I will not be happy.
1: <laughs> and I think you you voiced the words of a lot, and they echo the thoughts of a lot of Celtic supporters. I, you, you used a word there, Regan, ambition. It's time for the Celtic board to show show their ambition and for the new CEO, Dominic Mackay, to come in and get off to a flyer. If Celtic appoint a big name, the season tickets will fly out the door. Right? They they,
0: yeah, they, they well
1: thirteen thousand people turned up to wave to Brendan Rodgers when he was appointed. You know, <laughs> so if you you take it like that, the rest follows. You bring in a big managerial candidate or a name, you will sell tickets. You you appoint John Kennedy or you lower your sights, then the fans will. The fans feel the fans feel cheated this season a wee bit for paying six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred quid for a virtual season ticket yeah. and getting, and in return, they thought that that money they were paying over Celtic would tool up for a tilt at the ten, and and they haven't. They've they've been let down spectacularly by the board, by the first team management, and by the first team players themselves. You know, so it's up to Celtic now to show ambition. And going appoint a big a big name
0: manager. Celtic had this slogan this year of Celtic is not for second best, but, but Celtic did not did not invest. They invested in a big Adidas deal for the for the merchandise. They didn't invest in a good manager, players that could uh, that could win the ten in a row.
1: I think that's a slogan that might come back to bite them come the end of this season, Regan. You know, so yeah, I, I, I commented on it. I, I felt that having signed a deal with such a global iconic brand, I couldn't understand the parochialness of the slogan, not for second best, because you, you you know who that's a dig at. You know, so I I thought they should have, you know, the Celtic should have thought bigger than that, you know, and wider than that. You know, so I, uh, I can't for the life of me understand why that slogan was allowed to, to be allied to the merchandise. But as you said, that the Celtic supporters paid their money again and bought all the stuff. So where was that reinvestment in the football team? Yeah, you know, it it wasn't forthcoming. So I think uh, I think there's a lot of questions to be asked this season, and only certain individuals can answer them. But I think you'll find that Neil Lennon's probably signed a non-disclosure agreement and Peter Lowell's walking away so you're not going to get the answers to the questions you want
0: yeah because for me do you think Celtic fans will accept Steve Clark as manager or do you think they need to go higher
1: personally I think they need to go higher my own my own pick would be Eddie Howe or Roberto Martinez Sean Maloney a combination something like that right that's that's me personally. Now, the dream one's Rafa Benitez, but everybody keeps telling you he was on twelve million a year in China, so that's out you're out with your reach. But I always say to these things, go and ask the question, let them give you an answer and, and let them say no. But if you aim high, you, you might get you might surprise yourself with the answer that comes back.
0: I don't know if you've seen the sports scene on Sunday, but Sean Maloney was on there and Sean yeah. Maloney did he didn't say yes or no. So to me,
1: yeah, I mean, it kind of left it hanging there, didn't he? So I, I think a lot of people were putting two and two together and making five and or, or whatever, you know. But I think, uh, I think the Roberto Martinez, Sean Maloney managerial uh, team, you know, excites Celtic supporters. Eddie Howe and the boy David Webb, who were at Bournemouth together, I think, excites the Celtic supporters. There's another one, the German boy Ralph Ramnick, who worked wonders at Red Bull Salzburg and. And the other, the Red Bull Leipzig, you know. So these are names that people keep throwing in, and they're, they're the ones that excite people. So, see if you get your ear to the ground as a as a Celtic director, or then you, you're going to know this, you know. You know if you low ball it and you bring in, and it's no disrespect, to, disrespect to Steve Clark or a Jack Ross, but you're not going to sell. Season. You will turn people off with a Steve Clark or Jack Ross announcement, right? So you you know what you're doing you know you know your clientele so match the fans ambition for once you know, yeah. so it's, it's, uh, it's as I say the the ball's entirely in the Celtic directors, of directors court and it's up to them what they do next, or it's up to certainly Desmond and uh, Dominic Mackay moving forward, what happens next
0: Yeah, I was just going to ask what do you think is the biggest job for Dominic Mackay McK- coming in as the Chief
1: Executive? I think he, he has to... Uh, there's been a real disconnect with the supporters
0: yeah,
1: and the board of directors and even to the first team and the players and stuff. So if he can repair some kind of disconnect and as I say, he could go off to a flyer by helping or influencing the the new the appointment of the new manager. And if it's somebody that uh, the supporters like and are going to take to and it excites them, then... He'll go, he, he will get his tenure off to a right good start, and if he has to speak, then I think Dominic Mackay has to come out and tell the Celtic supporters exactly where they're going to be, or going to be heading in the next three to five years. Just give them some structure, some kind of plan moving forward, and, 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 and tell them, this is where it this is where aims, this is our intention, we want to win back the title, but we also want to make inroads in Europe, something like that. And yeah. then and then turn around and say, but I will do my bit and I will stick to the number crunching and the marketing and the stuff that I'm good at, because that's my job. I will not interfere in the football side of the business. right?" And see if he said something like that, the fans would accept that. Because then they would know that there would be no interference. Whereas there's too many questions about Peter Law's tenure, about what influence he actually had and how big it was.
0: For me, the biggest thing that I noticed was, I was heading to the Celtic game and I heard Brendan Rogers saying, Celtic have signed Marianne Spade. And the, the person on BBC said, So, Brendan, what about Marianne Spade? And he says, I, d- I don't know anything about him, absolutely nothing about Marianne Spade. And I said, yeah. like, What? Surely and the manager nothing. must know who he is going to sign, in, sign for Celtic.
1: And I think that was Brendan Rogers telling people, I never signed him, that's not my player, that's coming from above. And that was him, his first shot over the bow saying, this can't continue. And if it does, then there's only one thing that's going to happen. And it led to him walking out the door.
0: Yeah. So I just wanted to ask you, do you think Brendan was lured by the Premier League or was he put off by the Celtic board? I think there's a bit of both
1: to that, Regan. I think uh, Brendan Rodgers came up here and reinvented himself at a time when he's... You know, when his stock was maybe a bit low and then came up here and won everything in sight. And uh, I think maybe try tried to take Celtic to the next level. But obviously, at a club like Celtic, there's a glass ceiling on how much you can yeah. spend, you know. And yeah. But, you know, the fact that they went into Europe and suffered some real crushing defeats didn't do anybody's reputation any good, didn't do Celtic's reputation any good, or Brendan Rogers himself. So, I, I think... Uh, I think a bit of both. I think he kind of realised that I've had a glass ceiling because he dominated domestically and he beat Rangers, what was it, 11 out of 13? Yep. I think 11 wins, drew one, lost one, I think, yeah. if he had 13 Rangers games. Uh, and, you know, so what, what more could he do? The next thing for him was Europe. But I just don't think that the board backed his maybe over-ambitious plans to to, to sort of buy bigger more expensive and better players to take them to the next stage, and he's probably told we can't afford that. And then obviously the lure of England, you know, he, he jumped at the first team that came that batted their eyelids, which was Leicester. People, people sort of were surprised at that, but he's back down the road now, and he's what well, he's making a fist of it in terms of trying to get Leicester in the top four. So it, he would say he made the right decision, Celtic supporters. Some of them still can't forgive him, but I think history, again, will show that Brendan Rodgers a wonderful Celtic manager, one of the most highly successful managers in the history of the club, so I don't think you can knock what he did. You can maybe knock the way he left the club, but then again, there's reasons for that, and only he'll know, and only Peter Law will know that.
0: Yeah. Do you feel that Brendan Rodgers, he, he would be able to come back to Celtic in the future? Or is the taste... 2 seven move?
1: I think that depends on your, your take on it. If uh, if you could get the Brendan Rogers type invincible Celtic team back, you would take that with open arms. You know, and I personally I I, I would accept Brendan Rogers back tomorrow. Yeah, you know, me I, too. I, I, the football they played was scintillating under Brendan Rodgers, certainly domestically in Europe there was a question mark, but As I say, I think the more you go down the historical line, people will have paused to cause and reflect and say they were privileged to watch the Brendan Rodgers Celtic era, you know, and I think they were just upset at the time because he never gave Celtic supporters the impression that he wasn't going to stay for a tilted 10, you know, and then he left kind of all of a sudden and they felt let down by that and badly let down. And, you know, so... And they called them all sorts of things, which I thought was very, very harsh. Uh, but I think further down the line, he'll be welcome back with open arms.
0: Do you think Neil Lennon will be welcome ah. back to Celtic Park? Because there's been people the last couple of days on social media and things saying that because Neil Lennon has left Celtic 20-odd points behind, that he will not be welcome to Celtic Park.
1: Again, it's your own personal take on it, isn't it? I... I think uh, I'd like to think that history would be kind to Neil Lennon. And I know what Camp I'm in, I would I would yeah. love to say he would be welcome back to Celtic Park with open arms uh, whenever he wants. But I me mean, too, guess... I've
0: met I mean I've met Neil Lennon uh, twice and he invited me to the training ground to see the players train. That was when uh, Celtic had players like Joe Edley, Scott Brown. So, so, so...
1: So you know that as well, Regan. There's a side to him that people don't readily see. And I get that they're upset and they're disappointed that he was part of a management team that blew the 10. But, you know, winning and losing is part of football. I think just because it's blindsided Celtic, that they just didn't see this season coming and the way the season's panned out. And it's it's everybody's hot and they're kind of lashing out. And they're lashing out at each other and they're lashing out at Neil Lennon. And, yeah, time's a great healer. So you'd like to think that, In the fullness of time, he he would be welcome back. But I think there'll still be that element there that won't ever forgive him for what happened.
0: Yeah. Do you think the the thing I just said last week about Celtic need a director of football, do you think that was a little dig at the Celtic board?
1: I think, without a doubt, 100%, that was a dig at. Certain members of the Celtic board, you cannot... You cannot deny that. That that was, a, that was another one of those kind of uh, cryptic clues to tell you, you know, and Brendan Rogers trying to say, look, there was things going on when I was there that you don't know about. So I think that's his way of being able to not drop poison, but just let people know uh, there were certain things happening when he was there that he didn't like, and maybe that's why he is where he is now.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, I enjoyed the success in Scotland. But I just feel Celtic were far, far too complacent. Because I, I mean, I liked David Turnbull and John McGinn and these players. But for me, Celtic just were, were far too complacent because they had a bad Rangers team.
1: Possibly. I mean, there is there is that element to it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I think they, I think they underestimated the challenge that came from Stephen Gerrard and Gary McAllister and Michael Beale this season. Well, you have to understand they they were trying to stop the ten so of course they were going through every resource available to them that they had so they, and they built themselves a, a decent team a decent squad of players and they had them playing a certain way so that was evident from early on in the season when they were winning a lot of games you know and but nobody's laid a glove on them this season yeah. and and to Celtic shame they've just let them March on and uh, run away with the title, basically. So, and I think there was, as you say, the, the complacency. Celtic will deny that, but you can't come to any other conclusion that the Rangers were underestimated and possibly complacency crept in. Yeah, you can't deny yeah. that.
0: Yeah, I just want to ask you a, a, a question because obviously Celtic, great, right, they got to a point where they they felt like they could work, they could win everything in Scotland but do you think they, they became, oh, we can just turn up here and we'll win the league and then we don't need to throw it? Because to me, that John McGinn saga, they, they took too long for that to even play out.
1: Yeah, I think there's been a big a bit of lingering hangover from Celtic since the John McGinn saga, you know. It's, yeah. It went rapidly downhill from that kind of moment onwards, you know, and it's not rapidly downhill, but there was a kind of... There was something not right when that deal wasn't concluded, and from then on, you, you, there were sort of cracks appearing in the in the team, you know, and just cracks appearing in the actual stewardship and the the makeup of everything that was going on at the club. And there was warning signs there, you know, with Rangers coming to Celtic Park and winning, Rangers bossing the cup final, but Celtic getting away with it, you know. So there was wee things that you could pick up on that clearly weren't addressed, you know, and and I think Celtic t- thought that they could dominate, get to 10 and then do this rebuild that they're talking about, you know, but in order for that to happen, you had to guarantee the 10 because you were making no inroads in Europe whatsoever, you know, so the Celtic supporters were fine as long as they won the 10, you know, they, they could maybe see, they could maybe put up with the fact that they didn't do particularly well in Europe, and didn't sign players that they, they really wanted, like John McGinn. As long as yeah. they, as long as he secured the ten. So if if, the, if domestic dominance was your thing, the Celtic board clearly made that their their goal. Then they had to achieve that, and, and they've fallen short at the last hurdle, which is why a lot of the fans just can't can't accept it or, or are angry about it.
0: Yeah, to me, I just don't understand why Celtic the the board are just happy to. Happy to accept Celtic being absolute terrible in Europe. Like, how is that acceptable? Like, Celtic can be five one by Sparta Prague, and uh, Celtic fans are supposed to just accept it and move on. Is that is that, <laughs> is that the way it works?
1: No, nah, certainly not the way it works. And I think that's something that the new regime will will look to address and certainly need to address. The Celtic's record in Europe, bar the Getting past the group stage and beating Lazio home and away under Neil Lennon has been pretty pretty ropey. You know, yeah. they've not well they've not won a knockout tie since 2004. Is that right? Since uh, Peter Lowell came in yes. through that mission, so that that tells you its own story. I think that's quite quite galling for a club of theirs. Yeah, as- they've not won a a Euro knockout tie since 2004 and and. I say the likes of Dominic Mackay and the new regime who are hopefully coming in—that's that, something they'll want to put right. They have to put that right, as you say. That—that that kind of level of participation in Europe or non-participation in Europe, we should say, is is, is unacceptable to Celtic supporters, because that's where you make your name. That's where the clubs known around the world for their exploits in Europe, and sadly, it's been terrible for as long. Well, for what's that? Best part of 16 years.
0: Yeah. I just want to get your thoughts on, because obviously the Celtic board have not covered the Celtic glory, but I just find it a bit over the top that they seem to think that Celtic fans are overreacting and that they're, they're not happy. Like, it, it just it just confuses me. Like What are they seeing that we are not seeing?
1: I wouldn't say it's a... Well, listen, overreaction. strong. I just think that the Celtic supporters wanted this mythical 10, which was out there in the ether, you know, to to get that magical number was the be-all and end-all for the supporters. And and as I've yeah. alluded to, I don't think they, I don't think they thought they wouldn't achieve it, but it's just the way that it's all spectacularly came crashing down, that a lot of the fans are finding it hard to accept that and finding it hard, you know, it's it's been, they've not even ran Rangers close, it's not even been a challenge, a, a title challenge at all you know you would have bit your hand off to go to the last day and if that's what it came to now but it's just as you say what, what is it 18 points Yeah, 20, something like that so I mean it's just it's, ridiculous. it's a ridiculous gap you know and and it's and it's all been Celtic fans are upset because it's, it's, it's self-inflicted Yeah, it's- you know there, there are various stages in this season where they could have called time on the manager's tenure and addressed it and they re- and they refused to do it, or, or stubbornly refused to do it, when a lot of the Celtic supporters were pointing out or stating the blindingly obvious. So uh, if you refuse to listen to your your supporters, then then fine. I, I mean, I get that that they'll not be dictated to, but I mean, you, the, the fans were saying, spelling it out, kept telling them. You know, and the problem with the, with the fact that there was no fans in the ground, there was no way of venting that frustration in the actual stadium and bringing it to their notice. So it was all podcasts, it was all, you know, online stuff. And probably the board don't pay any attention to that. So they they, they seem to think that they knew best, but clearly they didn't.
0: Yeah, and I just want to touch on, obviously, because Celtic, we went into the season going for 10 in a row, now, how do you think that Neil Lennon in particular will look? Will look back on this season? Do you think? Do you think he will say he'll take the blame, or do you think he'll blame the board? Or how do you think he'll look I back? on
1: that, it? I think everybody has to take the blame. The board, Neil Lennon, the management team, the first team players. I think it's a collective, you know. And I, I said this on the other, but nobody will be more upset about the fact that Celtic blew Tenor Road and Neil Lennon. Well, a lot of people don't believe me when I say that, but it's true. He doesn't want to be the man who sold the 10 or or, or be labelled as, as one of those. So I think he'll be hurting more than most because it's his team at the end of the day. He has yeah. to live with that. You know, so, uh, you know, and a lot of supporters were like, how can he be hurting more than us? Trust me, he's hurting. You know, there, there's no, nobody's hurting more than anyone else as a Celtic supporter, really. But I think if you're talking about someone who is hurting and hurting big time, it'll be the the former manager. Because, you know, for all the good that he's done, there is this lingering cloud over his head Is he's going to be remembered forever for, you know, losing losing 10, which would be unfair on him. But it's just the way the minds of some supporters work. And as I said earlier, a lot of them are going to find it hard to forgive Neil Leonard, for
0: that. Yeah. I just um, see for the rest of the season, how will you view John Kennedy and and, uh, Strachan? Because obviously Strachan's uh, been getting meat season because of his laptop and John Kennedy's not been helping Neil Lennon. I mean, I I just don't understand why John Kennedy and Strachan didn't go at the same time. Surely Celtic could have brought in Darren O'Dea or Steve McManus or uh, is it Tony McIntyre?
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. I don't see why John Kennedy and Gavin Strachan said, but as long as you said at the start of the programme, as, as long as they're only there for eight games, then that's fine. You shake hands after the end of the eight games at the end of the season and they go their separate ways because the Celtic fans just won't put up with John Kennedy ascending into manage the managerial throne. They just won't, you know, regardless if he wins eight out of eight. You know, John Kennedy's remit now is to... Uh, not concede the title to Rangers at Celtic Park and uh, beat Rangers at least once in order to you know for for Rangers not to register a, an invincible league season. That that's basically John Kennedy's tasks. And if he can do that then the Celtic supporters will be quite quite happy. salvage something from the, the wreckage of this season, you know, and it has been a total wreckage. So but I don't think the fans just would not put up with Kennedy becoming the new manager. It's as simple as that.
0: Yeah. and I just want to see. do you feel like John Kennedy's not been a support for Neil Lennon? Do you feel striking was the right appointment? How do you feel about that?
1: I just think as a collective, it's just not worked and it's just not jailed. So why they can say one guy has to walk the plank, but not the other two, it's beyond me, you know, so it's just, it's, yeah. regardless if you don't talk, or, you don't go on with somebody, you, you're a management team, and regardless if Neil Lennon wanted them or not, he had them, so they're part of that failure, so they should have gone along with them, and then, let a new, a new voice be heard, for the next few games, because, you know, Celtic weren't, particularly, inspiring on Saturday, against Aberdeen,
0: no. so it just
1: strikes me, as the players just listening to, I, 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 the same voice but just a different setup. you know yeah. so I, I find it staggering that they, they, that Kennedy and Strachan never left alongside the line and I really do but it is what it is and if it's for eight games then as long as uh, they win as many as possible and you know can achieve what I said a minute ago about beating Rangers once and shattering that kind of Invincible league season of theirs, then that that's fair enough. That that's the rematch in the, trying to stop Rangers from winning the title at Celtic Park as well.
0: Yeah, I just want to get your thoughts on obviously because Celtic could lose this league title by twelve points, and Celtic lost twelve points in January. So, yeah. Celtic went to the buy? So I just want to get your thoughts on obviously Celtic's not being. Uh, Managed properly, Peter Lovell, need needed to step in and say, Right, we're not going to go to the this year. Because if Celtic lose this league by 12 points, and it's just going to look to those 12 points that are the worst in January. Yeah,
1: and that's the big thing, isn't it? I think uh, it certainly wouldn't reflect too well on anybody at the club if Celtic lose the league by 12 points, and they would point to January, would put they would point to the Dubai fiasco and every every man and their dog and politicians had their say on Dubai, you know. So uh, that's been well covered. And I think, uh, yeah, if they do lose it by 12 points, then the, the Dubai trip will just enter into one of those absolute horror shows and will go down in history as that. And I don't know why it was sanctioned. doesn't matter if the government sanctioned it. Someday at Celtic should have stepped in and said no. And you look at the fallout from it, it's caused hardcore uproar, uh, you know, uh, amongst everybody. And ultimately, the club have suffered. And if they lose the league by that margin, as you say, you'll look back to January and think, dear, oh dear, oh dear, or words to that effect.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So next, Tony, I just want to talk about you, this season you've joined the Hamilton Acquis TV coverage for the yeah, the yeah. season ticket holders, what it, has that been like to be part it's been of? it
1: fantastic, it's, uh, it's something I never ever thought I would do and uh, I was asked to do it because the previous guy left and then uh, they just approached me and said would you like to do this they were commentating games and I, I'd never ever, I'd never did commentary before, I'd I'd never sat behind the microphone, nothing. So the first time I did it, I basically turned up at a studio, walked in, was handed a mic, handed the team sheets, and told, get on with it. So <laughs> the first half of the, the first commentary, it's just, it's, honestly, I don't even think I said a player's name once. I, just, I was just talking because I was nervous, and my co-commentator wasn't that great. And uh, he's since left. And I've now got a co- co-commentator who knows a bit about football and we bounce off each other really well. So, and every week when I introduce him, it's great fun because I just pick a, a famous football double act. So, he, he, you know, I introduce him as the the Xavi the to my Iniesta, you know, that oh, kind of okay. thing. The Kanija to my Maradona, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, so I just pick a, a, a famous football duo. And, you know, so Toshak, Keegan, that kind of thing. Uh, Rush, Dalglish. So in the in the Hamilton supporters seem to like that because you think that there's kind of there's a personal touch there you know and at one point the the co-commentator his name's Curtis Wilson he compared Odolphin to Zinedine Zidane because he did a, a Zidane turn right and so so I was kind of like okay so the next time Odolphin picked up the ball I've got the mic and I'm like, and there's Zidane i like, sorry that's Odolphin. <laughs> And seemingly all the Hamilton fans who were watching Hamilton TV were killing themselves laughing, you know. So they enjoy things like that. Uh, I, I tend not to take I take the job seriously, but I think if you can inject a wee bit of your personality and your humour into the commentary, people like that, and it just shows that you're human and you know. And I, 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 what I have found is that they tell you not to be afraid to make mistakes. You you make mistakes. These things happen if you're if you're live and you're and you're talking and stuff like that. I mean I spent the whole of the Celtic game calling Odson Edward French Eddie on Hamilton Hackey's T V <laughs> and they get substituted and I went, There's Odson Edward, he's French, you know. I say, but you know that because I've been calling him French Eddie the whole game. So stuff like that, you know, so that 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 uh, that part of it's great fun. It's and and I actually love it. I've I've really grown into it and I, and I really love it and I and I enjoy it now. It's something as I say I it's an experience I never ever thought I would do, but I actually love it and I get right into it. And when they beat Motherwell 4-1 the other week, that was terrific. It was just great fun, you know, that week because that means so much to Hamilton Aki supporters. And yeah. so I was, I was getting right into it. And you know, Stephen O'Doro got sent off to get a penalty, and you know, they were two nil up and jig time, and it was just like oh, it was terrific, you know. So I've I've really enjoyed that side of it, and long may it continue because I, I I really do enjoy it. It's, it's great fun and. you ever get the chance to do that do that i would recommend it because it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant
0: yeah so what type of feedback have you had from the hamilton fans Oh, have they they enjoyed the the coverage of the show
1: i think the first one they were kind of like who's this clown you know but after that i the clowns got a bit better you know and helped put some smile on their faces and they've said some some lovely things and been really really supportive and kind so uh as I say, I've, I've kind of grown into. I think, I think I've commented what seven or eight games. I think this will be my eighth on Saturday. So I've got better each one, you know. And there was a uh, there was a last minute equaliser against Rangers as well. And yeah, there was myself and Curtis just went <laughs> went absolutely tonto, only because they deserved it, and uh, and they loved that. I think they like that that you kind of get passionate about it, and it's not just you know run or goal, whatever you know you you kind of get right into it, and uh, I was on my feet, you know, And when, when the keeper saved a penalty last week against Hibs, and I was like, yes, he saved the That's justice, because the referee was a terrible decision, or that kind of thing, so it just grips you like that, you know yourself, watching football, any game, if you've got any kind of allegiance, or perceived allegiance, then it, it gets you, you know, you, you do get involved, you get wrapped up in it, so I, uh, I'm starting to get wrapped up in it, and it's great, I enjoy that fact, you know. Yeah, what advice would you give to future commentators a uh, future comment I would, I would always <coughs> excuse me I would tell them to know the players for a start know the formations and uh, yeah and don't use stats all the time and also that sometimes silence is golden you know you don't you don't have to comment on everything so even if you just kind of let the the game breathe and let things develop before you kind of jump in. Uh, that that was the advice I was given, and it, it served me well. At first, I was too keen to tell everybody everything, <clears throat> you know. And and then you, I was trying to work out numbers and players. But you know, if you if you get a team, then get the formation and put it in front of you, and you know, and and, and circle the numbers and make sure you know exactly where the guys are. Because there's nothing worse than a commentator sounding unsure of anyone on the park, you know, so it's, because uh, you get all the people that, you know, message in and say, that wasn't him that did that, it was him, you know, and and you take a professional pride in what you do, so, uh, yeah, that that would be my advice, know the players, know the formations, let the game breathe, don't talk about everything, and enjoy it, and get excited, and get motivated, and get right behind, whatever it is you're trying to do, I'm on Hamilton Accus TV, so the Hamilton Accus TV you know the supporters that are tuning into that want to hear, partisan TV. They want us, yeah, they want us to get excited. They want us to cheer when they score. They want us to get annoyed if there's a decision against them or a goal against them. So be human, you know, and that's that's part of it all.
0: You talked about being in the, the, the TV studio for the for the TV coverage. Have you been able to be at the, the Hamilton Raki stadium?
1: Yeah, been on the ground when you you commentate on away games in the studio. And at the home games, you're in the ground, so you're in the gantry, which is above the above pitch level. That's great fun, but it's no great fun in the dark when you can't make out numbers over the other side. <laughs> you're just like, you're, you're guessing. <laughs> so, so that's what I say, no, no formations. When you get your teams, no formations. And, and get a team sheet as well, because when there's players coming on and you're like substitution and, it's, uh, and you don't have the the TV studio screen in front of you. You're seeing it. It's they're seeing it first time. So <clears throat> uh, sometimes you, because I, I, commentated in the Hamilton Ross County game, and I didn't have a team sheet. And Ross County equalised, and I think I managed to get away with not telling them who scored. And uh, <clears throat> and I don't even can't remember who got the winner. Uh, Billy, oh, what's his name? M-
0: M- McKay
1: Billy Mackay got the winner. Yeah. So. And I only recognised Billy Mackay because he had the number seven on. He he came on as a substitute, and uh, <laughs> and I was like, and Ross County i have scored. It looks like the weather, and he, he ran away. I'm I'm like, I think it's Mackay. <laughs> you, <know, that> <laughs> you know, like don't think, know these things, you know. So I when I and I never had a team sheet in front of me, so I I, I didn't know the formation. So, but I just kind of worked it out on the the law of probability for that one, you know. So uh, that that was funny, but yeah, it's. Uh, it's great fun. I mean, it's, I'd recommend it to anybody. I'd recommend it to yourself if you have a fancy doing something like that. It's, you, you'll see what I mean if you actually do it, you know, it's, it's terrific.
0: What has it been like with no, no fans in the stadium? Because it's, it's it just seems so d- difficult. To...
1: That's the thing. You, you try and, uh, you try and create a bit of atmosphere because there's no fans there. So you have to do that, go you know, through your commentary. But it is, it's a, it's quite a surreal, eerie experience, you know. It's like, it's it's football, but not as we know it. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's. I find that, you try, well, see if you're commentating, you kind of blank that out anyway, but it would certainly help, you know, if you had that kind of atmosphere in, in the background, but you would blank it out. I've, I've spoken to commentators about that, and they say they, they just don't hear stuff, you know, unless they're right below you and the microphone's there and it picks up something that you shouldn't then you have to apologise and say sorry about that, stuff like that but it is, it's a surreal experience watching football with no fans and the sooner we are back to some kind of normality the better because I think everybody wants to be allowed back into the football and back into Grounds and to watch their their team regardless of who they support it's uh, it's sadly missed
0: Definitely I just want to say what was your uh, football memory growing up? Tony
1: football memories grown up well there's a I've got a lot of that's kind of in the in the book which I wrote yeah so a lot but my my first football memory was being taken to see Clyde my dad took me to see Clyde at Shawfield which was just down the road from Celtic Park but I was a Celtic supporter and uh, Celtic scored so you heard a roar so I'm watching Clyde with my dad and And I'm about four, four years of age. And I said to my dad, do you think Celtic have scored? Do you think Kenny has scored? This was at the first half of the Clyde game. Needless to say, we were at Parkhead for the second half. And I watched the 76-77 season. The season Kenny Roglico left, but I watched the second half of that season and Kenny was my my idol back there. That was the first kind of football hero that I had. And I, I tell a story in the book that, so, years later, I'm working for the Daily Record and it's a McDonald's Hamden invite for corporate hospitality. Who's hosting the table? King Kenny. Yes. So, you're sort of sitting there and you're in the presence of greatness. And So, he gives you your ticket for the padded seats and by fate would have it. I'm sitting beside Kenny Leash. So, Freddie Bobbitt's so, yeah, amazing. Just amazing. Yeah. Freddie Bobic scores for Germany early on. Kenny's kicking every ball. He's going off his head because Scotland are getting beat. Two of us are telling Bertie Vogts, ah, he's doing this wrong, this, that, and the next thing. Kenny Miller equalises. And so what do you do? A turn and the two of us are jumping up and down. <laughs> and I'm just sort of standing there like, I'm jumping up and down with Kenny the wish at a Scotland game, but a Scotland goal. And I just thought, do you know what? The one thing that I wanted in that moment, I, I just wanted my dad to be there because my father took me to see my first football match and took me to see Kenny leash And I kind of put that in the book and a lot of people kind of, it's resonated with them about, you know, your dad taking you to games or, or any relative and having your first football hero. And, you know, it's kind of, it's just one of those moments I, I get a bit kind of emotional talking about because it it's just, it's it was brilliant. It was a brilliant experience and I just thought, I wish, I wish he could have been sat beside us to, to enjoy it as well, you know, so... Yeah. That, that's my earliest football memory and a lot of other ones are in, in the book. So, uh, And then a lot of the other... It's a kind of personal stories and professional stories. It's 20 chapters of you know, growing up watching football and then uh, working in football environment and there's various there's various chapters on various footballers and various people that somehow are interwoven in my life and, and in my career. And then...
0: Are you okay to tell us a bit about the book and uh, what inspired you to make this book where people can buy the book?
1: It, it was lockdown that inspired me and it was a guy called Cliff Pike who works for Hibs TV and I got to talking to Cliff regularly from working at Easter Road and covering football matches and Cliff challenged me You all these Facebook challenges to put up 10 pictures of the people that influenced you in football. You know, the 10 yeah. biggest and so people were putting up pictures, but I started to put up stories, and then Cliff said to me, you should collate them and put them into a book. So lockdown came last March, and I thought, would anybody be interested in reading that kind of stuff? So, But I did, I put it all down, and I, I put it in a book, and I, it's available on Amazon, you can get it on Amazon, and Kindle, or a paperback edition. Now here's the Here's the shameless plug. There it's there. Uh, and it's about 90 pages. People will read it in a few hours. And it's just, I say, a collection of personal and professional stories. And there's, uh, there's chapters on Kenny, Charlie Nicholas, David Cooper, Diego Maradona, Johan Cruyff, George Best, Jim Baxter. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Dennis Bergkamp. You know, there's a whole plethora of characters in it and, and football guys, and it's for, a, it's for a football fan. You don't need to support MD in particular. I think football fans are getting a lot out of it because it's just, a, as I say, and it, it kind of traverses my lifetime and my career watching football, and a lot of it's quite funny as well. Well, I think it's funny, and, you know, and the feedback that I've got, it's it's been terrific. People have been genuinely so kind, and they've enjoyed it just because they can, kind I of see that I I just love football, right? I, I, I've never had the fact that I'm a Celtic supporter, but I enjoy football. And I think a lot of people have expressed that it comes through in the book. And, you know, it doesn't matter what team you support. You, If you enjoy football, you enjoy football. And that's, that's the kind of highest compliment that people have paid to me. And Hugh MacDonald, who writes for the Herald and the Daily Mail now, he said it was my love letter to football I don't think I could have expressed it in any better way. And, and that's what it is. It's And it's five ninety nine for those who might be asked. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: guys,
1: so... Available d- d- on d- d- Amazon.
0: <laughs> buy that book. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would be very kind if you do and very humbling. And, uh, yeah, so, aye. So that, that's basically where that idea came from. And, you know, I... Uh, now people, because it was a, a short book, are saying to me, "Are you going to write another one?" So <laughs> it's only been out since December, and people want another one. So I, I'm, I'm maybe thinking about doing that. I'll see how it goes. But I just wanted to see how this one was received, first and foremost. But well, like... but a
0: Celtic book.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. maybe maybe that's for for further down the buy line. It. <laughs> that's kind, I, I'll see how that goes but I, I see people have been really kind about it and I uh, it's, it's did it, it sold uh, far more than I would ever uh, exceed it. it's exceeded my expectation let's put it that way and I didn't really do it for to sell I, I wasn't that egotistical enough to think that people would buy it or, or want to read it but uh, I was I, I basically it was a souvenir for my for my family you know so and yeah, it's it's uh, quite humbling the, the amount of people that have got in touch and said they have bought it and read it and, and enjoyed it. And for me, that that's I'm not in it for money or fame, just for people to turn around and say, Do you know what, I really enjoyed it. That's that's payment enough because they, they clearly enjoy football like me if they say that, you know.
0: I just want to say thank you to Tony for coming on the show. It was a great insight into Celtic and also State of Mind podcast and also the Hamilton TV commentary. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Me and Tony built up a good rapport during the interview and I'm really glad that I can get to that stage with my pupil I have on the show that we can just relax and talk about football. Everyone should go and check out Tony and his brand new book that is available on Amazon for 5 99 Thank you.